Hi, everyone. This is PCI PDI 360, Conversations in Crisis Management with Joe Bermudez. Thank you for joining our conversation as we are joined by one of the elite brokers in the PCI PDI marketplace, Jeff Mills, who is Managing Director, National Client Advisory Leader, Product Recall Practice Leader of Marsh. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. How are you? I'm fine, Joe. Thank you. My pleasure. Great. Fantastic. Thank you and good to hear. Before we get into discussions, and I'm really interested in your insights um, because of obviously your position with respect to a leadership role in the PCI, PDI uh, marketplace. Before we get there, I want to ask you a few questions about how did you get involved in the PCI, PDI business line? Uh, where did you start and how did it evolve into the uh, position you have now with Marsh? Uh, yeah, long story. Wow. Um, so I think like most people, like stumbled into it by accident, Joe. So um, I worked in the uh, in the Lloyd's marketplace for a couple of different companies over there and wanted to move to the U.S., uh, married somebody in, 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 uh, in New York, so wanted to move to the U.S. and took a job with AIG. So that's back in the mid-90s. Um, so I started in their crisis management division uh, back in 1996. Uh, started off as the Northeast uh, Regional Underwriter based in New York um, and then moved up to be the national, uh, the North American uh, head of the U.S. and Canadian divisions, uh, did that until 1999. Uh, from there to Aon, uh, spent 10 years at Aon from 99 to 2009, uh, and then in 2009 made the transition over to Marsh. So started on the underwriting side, but uh, predominantly on the broking side. Excellent, excellent. And, and with respect to both underwriting and brokerage, I mean, have you spent a lot of time throughout that history um, with the uh, product contamination, product defect lines? Yeah, so that they, the entire the entire time. So the, entire the, time. the AIG, yeah. So the AIG position was their crisis management division, which was product recall, contamination, and some other funky stuff, kidnapping, ransom, and terrorism. Um, so since '96, always on the on the crisis side. So let me ask you, given your experience, what do you think about the evolution um, of the of the products um, and the acceptance by? companies um, in various industries and bringing this type of insurance product into their portfolios, into their uh, insurance portfolios? Yeah, so way back when, it was very much a, a food and beverage product. Um, and way, way back, it was really a malicious product tampering product. So uh, we had large food companies some tobacco, beverage, and they would buy very, very high malicious product tampering limits, up to $300 million way, way, way back. Uh, and then it really morphed into, you know, a that's when the accidental contamination came in and that changed things then. So that's in the late nineties and then it sort of expanded out to, to other industries. So the transition to the, you know, to the automotive and electronic components and, 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 you know, the other products, Joe, that's really within the last sort of 10 to 12 years. So, um, and, and how has it changed? I just think that more and more companies recognize the, the exposure recognize that it is an exposure they can transfer and still people think that it's expensive and the language is not as broad as, as maybe it might be but i think that they've realized that um you know the gl doesn't cover all the costs that they're going to incur there's a way to to do that um and it's it's just it, it's changed so much uh, having said that i still feel 20 something years later that we're still we're still pretty immature we're still not in the infancy but we're an immature market i mean if you figure just on the food side there are Somewhere between twenty-five and thirty thousand food companies in the U.S. I'm guessing probably less than half of those still buy. So I think we're still, you know, we're still pretty immature. 
completely agree with you. I completely agree. There's still a lot of growth there. And I agree with you both, not only in regards to uh, the client base, but as well as with respect to the wordings. We still have a lot of evolution to go. I completely agree. Uh, fantastic insights, Jeff. Thank you. Um, let me, obviously, we're, you know, as you and I were talking about just before um, uh, our session today, is that we're living in extraordinary times with COVID-19. Um, how is Marsh, um, and in particular with respect to your practice team, um, how are you responding to COVID-19 and assisting your clients with respect to the issues being raised? Yeah, so just in the last couple of weeks, Marsh has done a lot of work, um, put together a couple of white papers about how COVID-19 applies to, uh, to pretty much any policy you can think of, Joe. So any kind of property casualty, specialty lines uh, um, policy, uh, we've, we've got a white paper that, uh, that how those respond. We've done the same on the recall contamination side. Um, you know, I think that we're, you know, we're fortunate in that our book of business tends to be a lot of larger companies, so maybe not quite the immediate issues with, you know, with smaller companies that are worried about how to pay the mortgage or the rent come April 1st. So, um, but obviously the restaurant industry in particular, that's where we're seeing most of the issues. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're getting slammed horribly and, and obviously we have a lot of restaurant clients. Um, so yeah, Marsh in particular is trying very hard to, you know, to, to, to steer their clients, you know, educate them as to, you know, as to what this does, you know, for us, you know, the science is that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit in the product, so to speak. So we'll see how the policies respond. Um, you know, the restaurant policies with pandemic event, uh, uh, coverage. Um, yeah, they're, they're, we've, we've seen a lot of, a lot of claims on that, that side of things. Absolutely right. And, and we're expecting a lot more in regards to the restaurant line there um, because of the fact, as you mentioned, the pandemic um, coverage uh, uh, and its response to the same because this has just been extraordinary. Um, but you bring up a great point, Jeff, and I, I want to follow up on that. Um, obviously, there's a range, as you mentioned, um, with respect to uh, Marsh's clients, um, uh, the uh, much larger. But um, even with the larger uh, clients, are you hearing or are you concerned about uh, the liquidity crunch because as we know that when a crisis hits um, especially the types of crises that are covered by uh, the insured events uh, insured or, or covered occurrences under these policies one of the first things that the clients suffer is a liquidity crunch they they don't have products going out uh, they but they've got to pay their bills to suppliers to their employees um, and so they are basically in a tough spot in the first few weeks uh, of the crisis. Are you, do you believe that, that basically that uh, the COVID-19 situation is going to exacerbate that situation? Yeah, I, I do, Joe. And I think, you know, we've seen this not with COVID, but with other things in the past, whereby it, it, it comes down to cash flow, right? So they have a claim, you know, use the restaurant as an example, but, you know, they believe it's a valid claim. And not only do they want to get paid, but they want to get paid very quickly. Um, and, you know, and that's a concern that I have is how quickly can we, you know, can we can we get these things moving, get the claims paid, get some cash in their pocket and help them with any kind of liquidity crisis that they have. So I think that's going to be a challenge for us because, you know, typically we're, you know, we're pretty thorough when it comes to claims. Right. We, we, we tend to take our time and things don't flow maybe as quickly as they as they should. Um, and there's just going to be so much more pressure to get these things paid and get them paid quickly. Uh, and I think that's a real, you know, that's a real issue that we face in the next few weeks and months. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And, and I'm hoping that we'll talk about that uh, during the town hall later this week, because I think that's an incredible issue that um, that especially your side obviously is feeling. But I think that the entire marketplace has to take a look at it. Have you discussed this issue with with underwriters and maybe with perhaps um, obviously uh, Marsh has its, its fact team and it's a fantastic team. Um, but have you discussed 
discuss it with the other vendors that are involved in the claims processes and with the underwriters and claims professionals talking to them about uh, perhaps uh, trying to figure out ways that we can expedite and and maybe create a little bit more transparency in the claims process, especially given the extraordinary times. Yeah, that's a good question, Joe. So we've been, we've discussed it internally, you know, within March with our claims and forensic people. Um, the next step is obviously to do the same with the markets because we do that, need them to buy in. So whether we do that in some formal way or just an informal agreement where we can, you know, we can really move these things along. Obviously, we can't do anything with, you know, without their their help. Um, and the next stage, I think, is to, is to be able to go to them and say, look, we all know this is coming. We all know how this is going to play out, and we as a market need to, you know, need to react in the best way possible and do what we can. And we're seeing it with the banks. You know, people are. You know they're deferring mortgage payments and, and, and other things that you know that, that they're doing to try to you know to try to help. And we need to be we need to be the same. The insurance industry as a whole needs to be making the same kind of efforts. Great insights, Jeff. Great insights. Thank you. Um, with respect to the the marketplace in 2020, obviously um, we've had a huge impact at the beginning of the year with respect to COVID-19, the pandemic. Um, how do you see the rest of the year playing out again? Uh, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but how are you seeing things? Do you think it'll be difficult throughout the year or do you think that we'll be able to uh, make up some ground based on, on what's going on this year? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball. I mean, even prior to COVID-19, I, you know, I had a concern that as the, the main, PNC market hardened and, and in certain places hardened drastically, you know, property, DNO, excess casualty, that we would revert once again to being a, a discretionary buy. So there's only so much money in the pot to buy insurance. You have to buy property because the banks make you, you have to buy DNO insurance. So if something's got to give, are we going to be the line that gives? And I haven't seen that. So that's been very encouraging. So that to me means that people do see the value in product contamination, product recall, and and, and, and they continue to buy. So we haven't really seen, except in a very few cases, you know, people cut limits, maybe take bigger SIRs to try and to try and uh, you know save some money there. So we haven't seen that, and I, I don't think COVID nineteen is going to have the same, you know, have a, a huge impact either, Joe. I, I think it's early. Um, really curious to see how the markets, you know, react in terms of wording, um, and obviously that's a cause for concern as well. We've seen a little bit of knee jerk reaction here and there from some of the markets. Um, but I really hope that people will, you know, continue to see that product contamination is something maybe that's even more crucial than ever. I mean, you talked about cash flow. Um, if you're looking to protect cash flow, you know, this is one of the ways to do it. So, you know, it really is that balance sheet protection that companies need. And we have to make them, you know, make them, you know, understand and, and be comfortable that this is a line that is there to protect them as and when something happens. This is not the time to cut, you know, to cut coverage. Now, fantastic insights, Jeff. Fantastic insights. I'll be interested to, to hear, and maybe we can catch up later in the year and see how things progress, because I think you've got it um, spot on with respect to how industry needs to look at and clients need to look at this coverage, because it really is a, a coverage that can assist them, especially in these types of uh, situations uh, and these extraordinary times. Um, with respect to uh, the industries, as you mentioned earlier, we've seen growth in um, the non-food areas uh, with respect to uh, product contamination, product defect insurance. Uh, do you expect that to continue? Where do you expect or where do you hope? And again, obviously, COVID-19 has thrown a bit uh, of a, uh, a bit in from the left field there for, um, in regards to uh, issues that um, we're all dealing with on the financial side. But what industries do you think that um, you may see some growth in in regards to uh, uh, growing product contamination, product defect insurance? Yeah, so I mean, obviously we've seen a change from being a predominantly food and beverage line to, to much more balanced. 
Uh, and I think that'll continue. We're seeing a lot on the electronic component part side, Joe. Um, you know, we've seen it with the auto manufacturers in the past, whereby you know, contractually they're looking to people to you know to buy to buy recall insurance, um, you know, for the third-party risk. We're seeing that from the big electronic component, uh, the big electronic manufacturers as well, so cell phones, laptops, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's going to be a big driver. You know, I think we'll uh, we'll see growth there. Again, a lot of this is contractually driven, so we're still seeing a lot of client-specific, contract-specific, geography-specific, um, you know, whatever it might be. But I think that that will just continue, um, and a lot of that is, is going to be is going to be mandated. So, I, and, and I think for us, that's all very positive, right? Um, you know, people, if they want to get that contract, they're required to carry insurance. That's a, that's a positive thing for us. But I do want to make sure that we buy, you know, we, you know that when they buy, we're, we're giving them something that really covers their exposure rather than just allows them to check a box and say, yeah, I'm, I'm buying a policy. We want to make sure that they actually are buying what they, you know, what they need to cover that exposure. Oh, that's a fantastic point. So if you don't mind me, again, not, not to get too far into Marsh's business practices, but when you're talking to clients about that, I mean, what is it that you're looking at in regards to the different types of industries um, with respect to saying, all right, this is the type of policy, these are the type of limits, you know, we want these types of endorsements. What is it that you're trying to get out of them to make sure that you understand exactly what they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, so it's a good question. You know, one of the great things about Marsh is, you know, we are set up, you know, in, in industry silos. So, you know, we have tech and communications and manufacturing and auto and food and beverage, and, and that, that definitely helps access the people with the knowledge of the industry rather than the, you know, the knowledge of the, of the insurance product line. So that, that works really well for us. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, knowing what they make, where it goes, final application, you know, when you get into the nitty gritty of something and where does it actually end up, you've got to record it. What does that mean? If you're talking about, you know, uninstalling a, a part and, and replacing it and then reinstalling, what does that actually mean? What does that cost look like? So getting down into the weeds of exactly what they make. So rather than just saying, well, we make X and this is how much we make and what is that going to cost me? Actually trying to figure out where it goes and what their true exposure is. And that's a little bit more scientific than just, you know, multiplying annual revenues by, uh, by a rate and, and, and there's your premium. So, um, you know, I'm working with our industry guys to really understand what their business is and what that exposure looks like and making sure that we can, you know, we can, give them a policy that works properly for what they do. Well, that's fantastic. And your team has the ability to call on the Marsh experts in regards to the various industries and help them and to help you basically get exactly the right coverage set for, uh, for your clients. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a huge benefit. I mean, the idea is that we, you know, we have people that understand their industry across all lines, and then we have people that understand those specific insurance requirements. So we can kind of, we can assist them from both, both perspectives. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, let me ask you: Do you, do you see any growth in the uh, in the pharma and the uh, medical supply areas? Yeah, that, that's. I think I've been asked that question probably every every year for the last twenty years, Joe. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's pharmaceuticals always been tough, uh, and, and you know we, we do see some. It's similar to you know to the component parts where we see we see more generic than we do you know branded product. We see more specific to geography and, 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 and customer than we do across the portfolio. Um, it's just, it's not a, it's not a class that everybody loves, but obviously it is an exposure. Um, your medical products, we actually do quite a number of those. They become difficult when they're implantable. Um, no one's looking to pay for, you know, for surgery to, you know, to remove a, a, a 40, a 40 product. Um, but certainly we're seeing an increase there. You know, big pharma don't buy Joe. There's not the you know, there's not the capacity to make it worth their while, but we certainly see an increasing number of smaller generic manufacturers. And I think that'll continue. I, you know, I don't think, 
I don't think that's going to be maybe the same growth that we're seeing in you know in the in the electronic component parts. But it's definitely a growth area, um, and probably an area that we need to do a better job. And we've tried over the years. You know, there are some some forms out there that are specific to you know to pharmaceutical and medical products. Um, I don't think they necessarily work as well as maybe the you know the potential bias thing that they should. And there's probably an area where we can do a better job as an industry to address you know their, their needs. Oh, interesting. And and do you think we could be able to um, also increase the capacity to uh, to get the interest from uh, from the larger pharma companies? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that just that requires probably looking to, to alternative financing, capital markets. You know, some of the big Bermuda markets, and they've shied away from from pharmaceutical in the past. Um, you know, the issue has always been that the, the pharma companies, they spend so much on R&D that when the product comes to market, the margins are massive, right? So unlike food, where you're making a penny or two, pharmaceutical, because they spend so much money on the front end, the, the, the markups are, are huge. Um, so that's just been a difficult thing for people to get their head around when it comes to the potential business interruption loss and the, and the brand damage and rehab. So, you know, an area that I think we've, we've, we've struggled with, and again, we have a pharmaceutical practice group and we've talked to the guys there, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot over the years, and, and we, you know, we really don't have a, a, a fantastic solution for them right now. Doesn't mean we couldn't keep trying with that. But as I said, I think it's it's tended to be more the smaller, generic type manufacturers than than big pharma. Interesting. Great. Great. Thank you. Um, let me ask you. And, and one of the things I'm looking at and, and trying to do, just like you are, is is to expand the the marketplace. Um, are there, especially given what you're involved with um, and the use of experts and, and discussions with companies ranging from um, the largest to the smallest. Uh, are there ways that we can improve in the marketplace, in the product contamination, product defect marketplace? Are there ways that we're able to improve, improve the underwriting and the placement process so that you know we can really um, understand what these companies are dealing with and, and what types of issues might be coming up? Yeah, and I, and I think that's a criticism we've always, you know, we've heard, Joe. So really from, from the application process through the claims process, you know, there's been criticism that we're trying to sort of shoehorn everybody into, you know, into the same, you know, the same process. So, you know, we have typically one application form that we use for, for you know, for, for multiple types of industry, you know, and, and yes, there's a different one for food and there is for component parts and there is for consumer products, but still, you know, it, it tends to be the same. So maybe, you know, I think it's a fair criticism that we don't do, a, you know, a good enough job of, of trying to figure out exactly what a company does, what their exposure is, and therefore asking the right questions. And it's hard. I mean, we don't want to have a hundred different application forms, and your know, underwriters need to be able to have a consistency of how they look at things, whether it's you know product type and you know QA and process and manufacturing practices and et cetera, et cetera. You know, but but there's definitely I think a feeling that we, you know, we we here's your application form. There's 70 questions. Please complete them. Send it back, and and, and we'll go from there. So. Uh, you know, I think we've tried. I think that you know we've, we've developed wordings that you know that, that address issues that particular industries face. Um, but I think we can still do a better job, Joe, of, of, of particularly in the application process of really asking better questions that help the underwriters because they want to get to the bottom of exactly what a company does, but maybe allows companies to express themselves in a better way. And that's our job as brokers, right? Is to is to paint the the, the company in the best light to. You know, to highlight the things that they do well, whether it's quality or traceability or, or whatever it is. You know, that's our job is to make sure underwriters understand how well they do the things that they do. Um, but I think, you know, from a, an industry perspective, we, you know, we're a little bit guilty of just kind of, a, you know, painting everybody with the same brush. 
Interesting, interesting. Thank you. And I appreciate those insights, Jeff. Let me ask you, are are there any areas in the world that you're going to do you expect to see growth in the product contamination, product defect marketplace? Um, obviously, North America is, is one of the larger, if not the largest market. Um, but would you expect to see growth in other areas of the world? Yeah, so it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's something that we've not struggled with, but we've considered a lot over the years is, is how much time and effort do you, you know, do you spend trying to develop, you know, some newer markets, you know, when we ourselves have a domestic market that we, you know, that we just talked about is, is, is not, you know, remotely saturated in any way, shape or form. So, you know, once we finish, you know, once, once we've cornered the market here, you know, then we'll think about that later. And that's a little bit clear, but I, I don't mean it that, you know, quite that way. I mean, certainly we see growth in Latin America. Um, certainly we see growth in Southeast Asia, um, particularly on the automotive and the, and the electronic side. So I think all of those, are, you know, continue to grow. I think the struggle for, you know, for the for the brokers in particular is how much resource do we, you know, do we do we plow into that? Um, we're all small groups, whether it's Marsh or anybody else. You know, we're not massive practice groups. We don't have hundreds of people. Um, you know, and, and when we're, we're limited by our resources, we've got to try and figure out the best place to deploy them. So I don't mean that, you know, you know that we're not we're not thinking about you know other other jurisdictions, Joe. But we're still we're still trying to get our heads around exactly what we have here. We still have you know we still have offices here where you know where we haven't been for a couple of years, and we and we and we need to develop there. So you know I think there are yes there are growth opportunities in in in, in other parts of the world, but I still think there are massive growth opportunities in the U.S. Completely agree, Jeff. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. So one last question for you as, as we're coming up at the end of our time here, and that is, is there something you can share with us today that most people in the marketplace don't know about Jeff Mills? <laughs> um, most people don't know. Believe it or not, and despite the fact that I'm English, I'm an excellent cook. So that's <laughs> so that's. Uh, that's my that that that's my my because it, it, it's it's one of those things, Joe, that you can do when you're a little bit you know ADHD like I am, where it, it's uh, it's something you can do and focus on something that's right in front of you, and it's instant gratification. And then when you're finished, it's all done, and 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 you can move on to the next thing. So that's one of the things I like to do to clear my mind a little bit and uh, um, and and focus on something else completely different for a few minutes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe we'll have a workshop with Jeff Mills at the summit this year. That would be great. <laughs> Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are, so we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and take care. Thanks, Joe. You too. Bye-bye.